What's up, what's up? Another week, another podcast. This is your favorite football podcast, the Football Academy. I'm here spoon tonight with Braden and Will. How's it going, boys? Uh, it's pretty good. Uh, decent little week off for us, I think. Uh, nice to kind of kick back and watch the Euros and, and you know all of that entailed. Uh, I enjoyed it, uh, but good to be back. We're going to talk a little bit of Euros, some uh, interesting Premier League news. Uh, excited to uh, chat. Yeah. A little break is always for the best. Uh, celebrated my wife's birthday uh, and raised a bunch of money for the Giving Kitchen on Anthony Bourdain's birthday. So I'm feeling great, feeling like I've done a good thing. And I also got to watch some ridiculous ass Euro action. So feeling good, feeling great. Ready to talk about some shit. Let's go. Nice, nice, nice. It was a very, very good weekend. And, uh, yeah, it got started on the Saturday. Wales taking on Denmark, an absolute uh, clinic put on by Denmark. Uh, I mean, Wales never really looked in the game at all outside of like the first 10 minutes. And it, Denmark really becoming the feel-good story, right? Like, uh, do y'all want to see them go maybe win it? for, uh, Or do you think this is kind of how far they're going to go? I mean, I you're right like it's a great feel-good story i'm pessimistic on their chances to go really that much farther they deserve a lot of credit for um the way they've kind of rallied around the obviously the christian erickson situation and you know they can beat czech republic like they are good enough to do that and you know once you get to a semi who knows what happens but um I kind of think they're going to run out of gas a little bit here coming up as we get towards the business end. I mean, I can see it happening just because crazier things have happened. And if I remember my history correctly, doesn't Denmark have a European championship? If I'm not mistaken. Maybe. <laughs> I, um, I could not tell you that. I, I'm, I'm going to go back and check my did, stats. Did his, dad, did his dad win it? Peter Schmeichel win it. I'm going to check this and come back to this. Um, right. But I would like to see him do it. Um, do I think hey, I mean, can? I mean, th- there were what? A couple pre-tournament favorites that we talked about, right? Portugal, France, and some, I mean, you can't really ever count out Germany from the you know competition because they're Germany at the end of the day. And all three of them got knocked out. Like any France, the biggest surprise for y'all as well? Or do you think like Portugal maybe this year with how much better they were? Um, you expected them to actually, you know, maybe defend their title. I I picked Portugal, and the fact that they kind of, I mean, they they ran into they ran into the team of destiny in Belgium, who like seem like their their golden generation is going to make good. So I thought that Belgium was going to fall apart because I have never thought their golden generation has been that golden. But credit to them, Portugal. I really expected better just because I thought the the main man now had all of the pieces, you know, five little mini hymns behind him that could drive the team. So I'm kind of disappointed in the performance from Portugal. Uh, and I feel like I have to eat crow about Belgium, too. So uh. I was never really, really expecting Portugal to to win the tournament. I, I felt they were a team that would make some noise, were capable of upsets. Uh, but I, I didn't think that they really had the team to, to go all the way through. I think whenever you're... Um, starting Pepe as center back, I, I think you've got a little bit of a problem at his <laughs> at his age at this point. Um, and the losing Cancelo um, before the term even started, I, I think, was a big loss for them as well because Semedo just ain't it at this point. 
Um, so yeah, for me, France going out is definitely the biggest surprise uh, of the tournament. Uh, and not so much that they went out, but I think that they went out this early and they went out to Switzerland. Like, I think we all kind of expected them to handle business, but you know, we probably should have seen it from the hungry match. Like there's some chinks in that armor a little bit. And there was always just when you're France, it's assumed that that's just working some things out and they'll kick into another gear. But you know, when you're another team, you don't like maybe Ukraine, you don't get that benefit of the doubt. And so like, I think we just saw a France team that was fine for most of the tournament, in my opinion. Yeah, I think that is very, very fair. And um, we'll see uh, how how much of a rest these players really get. Because, you know, I think that it's played a part, in my opinion, at the end of the day, like all of these big clubs, big, like big name players, rather not big clubs, having played such long seasons, it takes a toll. And you know, one lapse of concentration, shit might go crazy. And that is kind of what happened in England uh, with their 2-0 big, big win against Germany. I mean, I don't remember the last time England beat Germany in a meaningful game. Like, I, the last England-Germany game I remember was the 4-1 Lampard. I was, what, 15 years old back in 2010. Fun times, you know, and um, it, it, it was nice to see England uh, win 2 no. I mean, Raheem Sterling and Harry Kane scoring. Uh, yeah, boys, as I said in my predictions, it's coming home. Like, what do you guys believe, Will? You're the main man. You're a bigger <laughs> England fan than I am. What do you think? Uh, one, just for the time, I can go ahead and say it. All praise be to Raheem Sterling. The dude is in the right place at the right time to put the ball in the back of the net. He's playing a pretty decent tournament. I appreciate him most for carrying the boys. Um, Harry Kane is also a person who plays football. Um, Yes, it's coming home. It's coming home. It's going to happen. Also, quick side note, World in Motion is the better England song, yet we all say it's coming home. Just New Order had a hit with that, and we never talk about it. But no, it is coming home. Despite Gareth Southgate not knowing what to do, he played the back three last time, and that's just just do that and we'll be fine. Yeah, so I'm not gonna get that carried away with Germany. Like I think that Germany are a good team. I think that they have the offensive firepower to to beat you if you let them. But you know, with the way England sets up, they're a very conservative team uh, this tournament, especially under Southgate, and they just weren't going to let them beat them i you know jeremy had a couple chances havertz had an absolute rocket of a shot uh that pickford made a really good decent save on and you know it's one of those that goes in does a game change you know who really knows but england's gonna face more balanced teams in germany coming ahead and a team that can a team that can also defend as well well as attack them a little bit this england team may have to be a little more creative than they've been so far in the tournament and i'm not sure that southgate is really ready to go and pull the trigger on that if the time comes to do that there is one thing that i think i could say created kind of a difference uh i think that the team it plays a little bit better with jack Grealish on the side specifically because he provided some assists leading to the goals. So maybe Jack Grealish should be on the side a little bit more. Gareth Southgate, can you hear me as I speak directly to my mic? I mean, he came on and he provided a, uh, uh, an assist and then had the pass for like Shaw's assist. 
Um, don't you think like the coach should get credit, bring him on at the right time, knowing how to utilize him? <sighs> you know, but, like at the end yes, of the day, yes. like, for for all the shit talk that Southgate's gotten over the course of the time that he's been the manager, like I am not gonna say he pulled off a tactical masterclass because. Miller scores in his 1v1 situation. We're talking a whole different ball game, but they didn't make Muller didn't. And um, like, uh, ultimately, it was just Jack Grealish, uh, Jaden Sancho, uh, Rashford, like all of these players having them at their disposal, or like kind of knowing how to utilize them from time to time, I feel like is what Southgate is trying to figure out how to do. And maybe that's how they'll win because he even doesn't know. How to uh, who the, his best eleven is? Because like, depending on the opponent, England should really change their lineup, in my opinion. So uh, before we go deeper into um, European football and uh, who's going to win, I will get some predictions at the very end, so y'all can remember. But I brought the name up. He Romano's confirmed it. Um, all the big journalists have confirmed. Ornstein's confirmed it. Um, it's still not been confirmed by either one of the two clubs. But it looks like Jaden Sancho, after um, four years of trying for Man United, it, they're finally going to sign him. And um, yeah, there's 73.9 million pounds player to Manchester United. Will, as a Liverpool fan, how do you feel? Uh, <laughs> Terrified. Yeah, let me tell you. Um, no, you, you guys got your man, and that's good. Uh, I don't necessarily know if that's the piece that most United fans are looking for right now. Uh, which is fine. Um, I will say, uh, based upon my estimates, um, United got him for approximately 47 million less than he was valued last year. Um, that's me doing rough math. So don't count me to it, but, um, I'm not going to say it's the best deal because it's still a hell of a lot of money, but Hey, you got him for a little bit cheaper. Thanks COVID. Um, one thing I would like to mention that I don't think anyone else is going to talk about City still get money from this. Fuck City. Uh, yeah, that's a good point. Fuck City. <laughs> Always and forever. Um, I, so I kind of agree with Will. I think this makes United a, a much more potent attack because I, I do think a thing that United have missed is a little bit of an out-and-out winger and someone who can create from wide spaces. Like I, I think that they're whether it's Greenwood, whether it's James at times, whether it's uh, Rashford uh, on either wing. Like, I think they're all just very direct players who want to get central and, and score goals. And that's handy. But it, when the games seem to switch to kind of more to use a basketball term, like a half court thing, like when you're, when you're not in transition and when you just have to sit and break down a defense, that doesn't really work out. Like you have a lot of players occupying the same spaces. I think Sancho can come in and occupy a different space. And I think that gives your attack a little bit of a different element and, and makes it uh, just better overall. I don't know that it's uh, improving. The attack would not be my priority if I were a Man United fan, but at the same time, when you have the, chance to get a player of Sancho's quality, I, I think it makes sense to go ahead and do it. You know what? We all uh, chatted shit about Chelsea signing all those attackers last year. So <laughs> I'm going to just hope that's what happens to us and we stumble upon a Champions League. But, I mean, as a United fan, though, like having 
Rashford having Mason and having Sancho now is it's kind of wild to think about like the three players for that potentially could be the future for England playing here together. So hopefully it does bring some joy to everybody, but it's been two years or one year officially in the making. And I think United fans at the end of the day are just relieved that uh, we ended up getting him. But that was not the only news that happened as far as uh, uh, English football was concerned. Nuno, uh, former Wolves manager, now the official Spurs manager. Braden, how do you feel about that, sir? I, I was really hoping it was going to be good too, so and just wait for the blow up there. Uh, I think it's a really good hire for Spurs. I think he's a guy who can come in, uh, be pragmatic, who can work kind of with what they have and get the most out of it. Uh, because I, I'm not sure that Jose was really doing that in the past like year and a half or so that he was there. I, I think that he was kind of very committed to his system and it worked out well for Harry Kane and Zahn, uh, but I, I don't think it really made Spurs the best team overall. And I think Nuno will do a better job of kind of doing that. And, you know, when it comes to retool the team, which I think is going to have to, regardless of what happens with Kane, the team needs some, um, it needs a little bit of a rebalance, I think, uh, when you talk about the defense and, and other parts of their squad. And so I think he's a good guy to do that. Um, there were some other names that were maybe higher on the list, but I think this is a perfectly acceptable um, Premier League ready manager who um, I, I expect him to do OK there. Yeah, I think one of the uh, one of the things that was mentioned in most of the press I read about it is that they're very excited because Nuno is going to bring an attacking, you know, kind of direct style of football that has kind of been missing from Spurs. Um, most clubs who hire managers now kind of want to play attacking football because they want people to put money into the stadium and into the team. So you got to pick an entertaining manager. And I think Nuno is going to play a brand of football that will make Tottenham fans happy. I think he's going to utilize the parts that he has 10 times better than Jose did. I do want to point out one thing. Yes, they did get Nuno and it is a tremendous pickup. But they also tried to sign like 33 other dudes and failed at every single attempt. Yes, Nuno was a good signing, but also just in the general sense, again, pretty stadium, lovely part of town, not able to attract the names that you may necessarily want. And I I feel like there's something to be said about that, but I'm not going to say it. So good, I mean, good signing, but they could have been better. I mean, maybe like Rich Rodriguez turned Probably down not, Alabama before Saban took the job. So like sometimes these things have a weird way of turning out. Right. So I, I I'm not going to get too caught up into that. I will say that all the coaches turning them down is a little worrying because I do think that <laughs> especially the the one manager they had lined up. Um, the the one previously at Roma, I forget its name, uh, but it seemed like that was a done deal. And then the last minute there was like some financial things. And if I were a Spurs fan, that would kind of worry me just because like it seemed very past the like big picture numbers and into the very small stuff that eventually gets done and it didn't get done. And so that would concern me a little bit. But uh, beyond that, you know, I, I think Nuno is going to be OK. So. um 
before you decided to put uh, Nick Saban next to Nuno out there, um, <laughs> I, 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 the example I was going to use was uh, Louis Van Gaal. Originally, after the 2014 World Cup, or uh, was supposed to go to Tottenham, and um, United really were desperate and went and got him. And you know, Pochettino came. Everybody laughed at the time, and people were like, "No, he's okay." But nothing really crazy is going to happen. And look at them. And like, ultimately, as you said, like you never know. And there are funny ways of working things out. So I, the fact that so many managers didn't take the job just tells me that Daniel Levy is an idiot. And like, that's been my overall attitude about him, like the entire time, because um, we'll see what pieces he really has left to bring the best out of and whatnot. But um, Spurs with Nuno are going to be a tough, tough um team in my opinion like if anything you can say about those Wolves teams they were hella tough to beat and like if Spurs can do that and then grow on it like I, I think that's ultimately got to be their plan so we'll see how that happens and you know another London club in Crystal Palace surprising everybody um, there were a couple of names even for them with the former Dortmund manager um, losing Favre also getting linked to them um, ultimately ended up with Patrick Vieira. Like that was in a long list of names. If you gave me for somebody to replace Roy Hodgson, I would not have had Patrick Vieira anywhere near that list. But here we are, Patrick Vieira, most probably the next Crystal Palace manager. Well, how you feel about that? Uh, so I'm going to speak as an American because I've seen Patrick Vieira be a manager on this side of the fucking world. Um, and I think it's a decent pickup for Crystal Palace because I think they'll play a better brand of football. Roy Hodgson wasn't inspiring minds. Crystal Palace had many times during the season we referred to as just like, you know, or I kept making the catering joke about them. Vieira's teams tend to play a little bit more aggressively, maybe a little bit more rough, but it's better than what Crystal Palace is doing. I'll tell you that much. I believe for some of those NYCFC teams. So if he can make Wilfred Zaha do what Wilfred Zaha does, much like he was able to do with those NYCFC teams. Maybe he produces something. Um, as far as his career, I think it's a good move in the right direction for him because I honestly think he's going to end up being a pretty decent manager at the end of the day. I'm not fully sure what to think of uh, Patrick Vieira as far as it goes. Like I I think he did well at NYCFC. Uh, they never quite got over the hump. But I think that it's MLS is just a different league in general, I feel like. And I think that um, in some ways, being the salary cap constricted team that, you know, everyone in MLS is may help prepare him <laughs> for Palace um, because, like, you're going to have to manage a wage budget and you're going to have to find kind of diamonds in the roughs who can play uh, your style. So I, I will say that that may like in some ways like that makes a little bit of sense, but you counterbalance that with like Nice did not go well um, for him. And so which are you really going to see in the Premier League? Like, it, I think he, there's a decent manager in there, but we'll, we'll see which one comes out, I guess. Like, I think it could be, I think it's a good sign to get a younger guy uh, in there at palace instead of Roy Hodgson, someone who can go in, uh, probably identify with a number of the decent players, young players that, uh, palace have i think that makes a lot of sense and we'll see what direction that goes in um i i'm excited to see it as an arsenal fan guy who obviously loves patrick Vieira. 
Um, he's been linked with Arsenal several times, so getting to see him in the Premier League is something uh, I think most Arsenal fans are interested in. Um, quick question, Brayden. If he finishes above Arteta, Fuck y'all off. go get him next season. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not entertaining that question at this time. Thank you very much. <laughs> this is my. I mean, statement. I. Uh, I had to ask that, but um, I think fuck off would have been Will's answer to this question of if Rafa Benitez would ever go out and manage Everton back when he led Liverpool to the famous 2005 Champions League. But here we are, years and years later, Rafa Benitez uh, officially (laughs) unveiled... That kind of tells you how uh, fucked up I think the whole situation is. <laughs> Officially unveiled as the new Everton manager. And um, I just feel bad for the guy because, like, ever since that Liverpool job, he's gone to Real Madrid where he wasn't appreciated. He went to Inter Milan where he wasn't appreciated. He went to Chelsea where, like, he had a he won them the Europa League. And people were like, oh, look at this fucker celebrating the Europa League. Like, and now he's off to Everton, where I don't think the fans are really going to be, you know, be happy with him. Will, as a Liverpool fan, how do you feel? So I I don't know, because honestly, from my side of the table, just this is a personal thing, because Rafa was the manager when I became like a proper Liverpool fan. So like this is like watching your dad marry another woman who's 10 times less attractive than your mom. Uh, and she wears a lot of blue. Maybe she's a Smurf. Um, but then also, I don't know if Everton fans are necessarily happy with this either. I don't know why not, because Rafa is a fantastic manager. The man has pedigree. He's internationally traveled. He he almost made Newcastle look like halfway competent club. Like, the dude has some pedigree. But I don't know if Everton fans are going to warm up to him. I think they're going to be good because he's a good manager and he has talent and managing that team. He already has the pieces in place and Lord knows when he's got a couple pieces in place, he can take them and make the best out of them. Fuck this shit. It's so fucking dumb. I hate it. I hate it with my whole heart. I wish nothing but pestilence and plague upon Stanford, the Stanley, the other side of Stanley park, Whatever fucking wharf stadium they build out by the fucking water, I hope it sinks to the ocean. This is stupid. Rafa, I expected better from you. And if that was the rant you were expecting, I'm glad I gave it to you because I was more hurt than I let on at first. <laughs> yeah, that, that went a different direction than where it started. Um, but that's okay. And the groany hit. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think for Everton specifically, I think this is a pretty big upgrade uh, from Ancelotti. I, I think that uh, Ancelotti is very good at managing personalities. I think he's very good at kind of like man management, that sort of thing, which is great for teams that are established with a lot of strong personalities and superstars that that can use that and benefit from it, and but can mostly take care of their own on the pitch. Um, Everton don't really have that. And like when I think of Rafa, I think of a guy who don't necessarily want to say rigid in his system, but I think he's very committed to how he wants to play. I think he communicates that well to his players. And I think that uh, like you kind of mentioned with Newcastle, like I think that's something that you saw in that Newcastle team and even like going out and find it because Miguel Marone was uh, Rafa signing, not Bruce. And I think that when you saw that on that team, like when you first went over there, 
it was a little bit different. And so I think that him being able to go and find kind of exactly what Everton need might be a really good thing for them because I think they've kind of lacked. I feel like they've got a lot of good players at Everton, but not really players that fit well together. And I think Rafa can fix that a bit. One thing I'll say just to add on to my rant is that, and this is just a, again, a personal thing who the, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. If there's someone you want to take over your club, don't you kind of want to, want it to be a dude who like if there's any other club he knows as well as the one who he managed is the one that the everyone else hates so he might have a better like he's beaten them several times he may have a feeling of what those fans want better than they know because he's got the ins and outs so maybe it's a boon for them to have someone who's been on the other side who's like this is what you are this is what you need to be and i'm gonna bring you that uh so maybe that might be a hint to why they got him because he may know the ins and outs of how that he knows how this side of the rivalry works. Now he's going to move this side and go, here's what I learned from this. This is what you're not. This is what you need to be. That also makes me scared. I'm sorry. I said it out loud. I mean, I think he's an all right hire for Everton. I think the reason Everton fans are kind of going to be mad about this is because I don't think you're expecting a Premier League title with Rafa Benitez and, and all of that, you know, at this point. And because of what, Kind of Pochettino showed uh, with Spurs, you know, you get a couple of right players, you have the right coach, and if you are forward thinking, you can get there. And that's kind of the dream that Everton's selling with their new stadium coming up and all of that. So I think instead of taking a hit to like maybe go get Graham Potter and have, because, you know, that'd be a good upgrade from uh, Brighton at the end of the day. So and you have Dominic Albert-Lewin. So some players like that or, you know, some some fresh face instead of going old name. That's that's my only problem with going and getting Rafa Benitez. It's like the same problem I have with Real Madrid going and getting fucking Carlo Ancelotti. Like, you know, like it's time to move on. Like stop fucking recycling the same three coaches for the last decade. <laughs> Either just hold on to one of them or do something. So we'll see what happens, but... Quick prediction time right now, as things stand, with Wilfred Zaha still being a Crystal Palace player. Do uh, you who do you think amongst these three coaches that we've talked about finishes highest? Brayden, first year. Patrick Vieira, top four, Crystal Palace. <laughs> no. Um <laughs> that's a good question. Um that leaves a lot with what happens with Harry Kane, uh, because I think that obviously massively impacts Spurs. So as of today, I'm going to say Nuno, but there's a massive asterisk beside that, uh, as we all know. You know, I'm I'm going to agree, but in a different way. Even with the asterisk, I don't know how to pronounce that word out loud. Oh, God. Um, even with the, uh, the, the sign that's on the bottom part of your phone. Um, <laughs> I think Nuno might still be able to get the best out of this team. Even without Harry Kane, I think if they can if they can find a decent like they still have pieces. They still have like they they still got Sonny Boy. Like I and he's a really, really good manager. I think Benitez will get better out of Everton, but I but Everton's gonna Everton because I'm an asshole. Um and I wouldn't be shocked to see uh Vieira finish in the top half. Like I don't think he's gonna be above Nuno, but it wouldn't shock me for him to come into Crystal Palace and kind of 
make them a proper football team again and get them to the top half and then do a Southampton and go back to the bottom half. You don't want to bet $75 bro no. about that. Crystal Eat Palace me. pet. <laughs> oh yes. <laughs> Eat me. Not now. <laughs> I mean, I, I do think Nuno, but I, I think Rafa Benitez has a very good chance of finishing highest. Cause again, like it's too early in the window, but Crystal Palace, I don't think just have the team to compete. But Rafa Benitez with like his, you know, he can get the last juice left out of um, James Rodriguez, that kind of a thing. So, and Richarlison maybe finally understands his coach. So we'll see how all of that goes. So before we go, we have, uh, you know, the quarterfinals lined up for the Euros. Will first and then Braden. Who do y'all got to win the win the whole thing? I guess at this point, between the teams remaining, it's the better song, and it's a John Barnes rap. You know what it is? It's England, baby. John, start rapping. Whatever. World motion. Go look it up on Wikipedia or fucking. There we go. It's coming home. They got the easier side of the draw, too, because they will end up running into Denmark and saw them down. But it's England, baby. It's coming home. Let's go. Uh, Yeah, so England's probably the best one team to pick, uh, in part because of that side of the bracket. Um, I'm going to take the team from the other side of the bracket. Um, I'm not sure exactly which one's going to be, but um, I think that England have trouble against Belgium or Italy. Um, if they get there, um, I, I think England will do all right against Spain. Um, although Spain's capable of being them. Um, but I, I really think one of the, the winner of Belgium, Italy is the team we're going with. Uh, so I'm going with Belgium. And you think they're going to beat Italy without Hazard and, uh, Kevin De Bruyne? They've got the better hazard. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I would like to be different, but you know, my, my pick is there still, and um, England, I'm going to ride that wave. But it would be the most most English thing at this point to see like them crash out against Ukraine on pens. Like, it, it, this is what happens. Like, it, it's hard to, you know, believe when you've seen that too many times. Magic of Shevchenko, man. That magic of Shevchenko. <laughs> Isn't it the coach? So, yeah. Uh, under Shevchenko, right? So, there you go. Like... Man's got some weird juju, and there's the oh, one of the two games that they have to leave England for, right? Or is it the only game they have to leave England for? Only game because there'll be both semifinals are in Wembley, and the finals in Wembley too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, so, that's a massive advantage. I, I'm not really sure how England got away with that, <laughs> only having to play one match outside of Wembley. But the John Barnes rap, baby, is coming. I'm talking. <laughs> Like, oh man, the last time an English team played at Wembley, a final was, um, I don't know, 1966, I guess. I don't know if that was even at Wembley, but um, <laughs> it was. Th- that would be crazy, though, if England like actually won the Euros at Wembley. But uh, we shall see how that all turns out. Um, that is it from us. We don't really have a whole lot, and we'd rather not... Uh, you know, bore you guys more with our thoughts. We will get more clarity as players get out. We see more concrete uh, offers made and uh, more transfer windows lining up. And we'll see because right now Liverpool's quiet. 
Um, Chelsea's quiet. Arsenal's quietly going about doing their business. Um, you know, and Pape just said he's not going to sign a new contract. There's a lot of moving pieces, and we shall have all of that next time. So please subscribe, and uh, we shall talk to you all next week. Hawks and six.